teaching of your word. Lord, we thank you that you live. And we pray um, that truly uh, you will be doing something in our hearts today. Um, that we would be people who are taken up with you. And we would understand a little more what that means today um, as you open up uh, your word to us. Holy Spirit, just allow us to understand your word. Allow us to be doers and not just hearers, deceiving ourselves. And would you be gracious to, to use me as I desire to be uh, prophetic to this body um, in order to please you. We love you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Be seated, family. All right. You can open up uh, your Bibles to uh, John chapter 20. If you need a Bible, uh, Pastor Leon has them right now. He's passing them out. You can raise your hand. Question you have to ask yourself, I me mean, as we just singing these great songs and enjoying the Lord together, and um, is why is Easter of utmost importance, right? That's I mean, really why. Why do we come and and and, and see this as a special day? Um, I mean, especially when you think of the reality of you know, think of N.T. Wright as a famous um, famous theologian. He always talks about how we are an Easter people. You know, like what what does that mean? Uh, why is Easter of utmost importance? Um, I'm hoping to uh, really have God just allow us to have perspective today. Um, Because when you think of the reality of you have history, okay? And when you look at history, we have uh, our history, like humanity and man being here and the earth and all that. Guess what? That is a sliver uh, to God's history, right? Because God has been around doing his thing long before we existed, right? And so there's, so, so even when we talk about history, I just want us to have perspective. I mean, we're talking about a little microcosm of history as we know it, because God existed way before. So when we talk about our history, uh, why does it matter to us when you look at our history? I mean, our history is really about, in a nutshell, I always say it's about, the Bible's about a, a good God and evil people, right? It's about, it's about God's love and man's rebellion. I mean, at the end of the day, you have a God who loves, and he's so full, and he, he's so abundantly, uh, so much love, he doesn't know what to do with it, right? And then what he does out of that abundance of love, uh, the scriptures talks about that he creates. Uh, we always try to make it really clear uh, that the Bible never starts the story with, you're a sinner, you're messed up, right? Sometimes we can think that's the story and how it starts. You're a sinner, and you need grace. Well, that's actually not how the story starts. The story starts with a good, loving God. So you have this good, loving, awesome God who, who has so much love, different than us, he creates out of the abundance of his love. I always say, when you think about us as people, when we create something or we do something, we usually do it because of voids, right? We get a new friend because we're lonely, right? You, 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 you start liking people because you haven't hit an agenda. I mean, there's, I mean, think of something that you do. A lot of times there's, there's, there's motivations that are kind of wanting, and our motivations aren't like God. Because we can't imagine creating. Even when you have kids, you want to love a kid, but you have a kid, and there's some, there's some selfish motivations there. It's not because you're just full of love. You know, because you think it's going to fulfill you. It's going to make your, your, your marriage is better, or you, you think this is what it means to, to be a rounded out family, right? We have all that kind of stuff, and that's okay, but I just want to show you how different we are than a pure holy God. When God created you and me, he had none of those hidden agendas. He was just like, I got so much love, I just want to give it to somebody. 
right? So he made people and he made a place for people, the scriptures talks about. So God creates out of the abundance of his love and then he provides a place out of the abundance of his love and mercy. Then he provides shelter and food and all this stuff and he blesses his people, right? He creates all these things and he makes us, man, the pinnacle of his creation. And then he says, hey, I want you just to enjoy me. I'm going to bless you and allow you to enjoy me. That's, that's the, that was the plan. God created, gave us all an opportunity to enjoy and experience Jesus. Well, Instead of us saying, my, we get, to, we get to join and experience the Lord forever, we decide to be our own guys. We're so stupid and foolish that we sin, right? And God says, hey, I want you to obey me. We say, no, I'm going to be my own God. And then we sin. And that's the sin where you see Adam and Eve sin in the garden. And what happened was basically that relationship that we had with the holy and perfect God who created us with a passion because he's, he loves us and has all love. We destroyed that, right? We marred that. And so all of a sudden, our image was marred, created in God's image. Although we are still in God's image, it is marred. And then God could have and should have destroyed us because we sinned against him. But what he does instead, he doesn't destroy you and me. What he does, he actually sends us off and he says, I'm going to send you out into the world. And what's, what history is going to be like is history is going to be a, a retelling of the story that you are a sinner and that you now need a savior. You need me to, to recreate you because right now you are evil and you're messed up. And I want you to go through life and see how broken this life is without God. See how this world is destructive and decreative and evil and messed up without me. And as you continue to go through life, you'll see that. And hopefully you'll see your need for a savior. And hopefully you'll see your need for Jesus. So basically that's human history. So then we go through life trying to fulfill ourselves, have our own guys, do our own thing. And all those things inevitably fail. And what God should have done, he should have destroyed you and me. But he didn't. He pours out his mercy. The scripture says that he was rich in mercy. And if you know, if you're a sinner over here, you understand mercy. Because we all should be jacked up and destroyed. But for some reason, you're still sitting here. And I'm up here preaching, which is hilarious, right? But that shows you God is rich in mercy. And God says, instead of destroying you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son and I'm going to re-ask you to be my friend. Although you're an enemy, although you hate me, you do your own thing. I'm going to re-try to engage with you. And I'm going to do that in the, in the most powerful way that I can. I'm going to actually pay for your sin because you're evil and messed up. I got to cleanse you. You can't cleanse yourself. And the only way you can get cleansed is if God cleanses you. So the way I'm going to cleanse you is God himself is going to cleanse you. And the way we're going to do that is through his blood. So I'm going to bring my son to come live a perfect life. The scriptures say he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He's going to be murdered for you so that I can re-institute re, re this relationship that I started in the beginning that was motivated by love. So then Jesus lives a perfect life. We then see him as Savior. We kill him. But in killing him... We actually do what we needed to do to experience true life, right? We provided that perfect sacrifice. And then Jesus says, guess what? I'm going to rise from the dead. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, right, rose Jesus from the dead, God himself. And in doing so, it validated that actually God is whom he said he was. And Jesus is whom he said God was. That is his son. He's the king. And now all those who can come into his presence can know and experience freedom. So that's the beautiful story of redemption. That's why Christians are Christians today, right? That's why we, we say, Lord Jesus, I, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins and allow me to be your person. That's why we're Easter people. But I want to, after telling that story, I want to parse that out a little bit. See, the beauty, of, the beauty of Easter is that Satan thought he had won, right? When he killed Jesus, he thought he had a, days, a dead savior. But the tragedy was actually triumph, and what God was trying to do was actually launch what I, would, what I would call a new creation project. A new creation project. 
That actually what was happening was God's kingdom. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, it was God's kingdom being ushered in. And Israel, the people of history, Israel was finally seeing their dreams come true. They're finally seeing that, okay, this king does live and he's, he's with me. And so don't miss this. Today, the reason why today is so important is because you're assured that you can have freedom. Now, let me parse that out. And let me start by saying this. A lot of times in Easter, the tendency is for us to want to be emotional, and I'm taking a risk here. So we talked about the narrative. That's the gospel narrative. That's what's happened throughout history. And one thing I want to train us in today, it's not just to sit and think, oh, cool. So, man, praise God, I'm saved, right? I want us to understand, so why is that important as an Easter person? What happened on Easter? Why is the resurrection important? Because I want to propose to you, although you being saved is really important, I want to propose that's one portion of why this is a very important time. Now, the way I can do this, the way I'm going to try to do this, okay, sis, the way I'm going to try to do this is I'm going to try to change the framework of how we're going to do our teaching today. I'm not, I don't want to talk about just different points because it seems to me Easter and the resurrection is not about you and me just knowing this point and this point and this point, but it's actually Easter and resurrection Sunday is actually about changing your perspective, Okay, so what I want to do, I want to try and help you see the perspective that Jesus, right, and the triune God has and what he wants us to have and what he was trying to help the Israelites understand when Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, all right, now you got to stick with me because it might get a little heavy. Okay, but I, but I, but my heart is I want you to leave going, man, so that's what it means to, to say I'm, I'm risen with Christ. I want you to leave thinking like that. Okay, can we, can't, shall I? You ready to rock? All right. John chapter 20. Perspective. What does it mean to be an Easter person? He starts off. It says, now on the first day, this is the, uh, the, the, the resurrection stories in all four gospels. Beautiful story. Um, and what we're going to do, we're going to blow through the story. I'm going to make a few points. And hopefully it'll all kind of come together to see what does it mean to be an Easter person. And also what I love about this perspective that we're going to talk about. A lot of times, especially in our hood, one thing I really struggle with is that a lot of times we're talking about Jesus and a lot of people in our hood believe that Jesus, believe the facts. But if we're really street about it and we want hundred about it, brothers think, you know what? I don't really see how that applies to my everyday life. So many of us in here believe, okay, that, that's trusting facts. But many of us, I wonder if we're struggling with knowing the person. Because we're going, man, but, okay, that's cool. First century, what he did, that's awesome. Praise God, hallelujah, right? But, man, how does that help me pay my bills? How does that help me be faithful to my wife? What does that mean now? See, I think the resurrection answers those questions. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, we're in, verse, we're in uh, chapter 20, we're in verse 1, okay? Came to the tomb early, all right? So we just talked about it. Jesus lives his perfect life. He's doing miracles. He validates he's God. Everyone's like, oh, my goodness. He goes in last week. We talked about the triumphal entry. People throwing palm branches down. Oh, you're the savior of the world. Oh, he's like, no, you're saying that, but you're fickle. And a week later, they say crucify him. Okay? They crucified him. They put him in his big old tomb. Right? And all the hopes of the disciples and all the people who are following him are shot. Imagine you're a disciple and you see this happening. So now you got this dead savior in the tomb. Okay? You watch the murder mutilated up there, just can't even really recognize him. He's so jacked up. And verse 1 says, on the first day of the week, 
one of his friends, came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, which is interesting, you know, that she would have that risk because this is, this is still a lot of people around. She could get in trouble, get raped, all kind of stuff. She, she goes still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, right? And she's thinking, oh, my goodness, something, something, something's wrong, right? Because, you know, in, in Mark 16, verse 3, you can write the address down. It talks about how all the women together could move the stone. So the stone was huge. So she's thinking, man, if this stone's moved, what's up? But she's still not thinking it's resurrection. See, you and I, we have, we, again, you go to the scriptures and you have presuppositions. And you've been hearing the story all your life maybe many times. Even if you're an unbeliever, you've heard the resurrection story before. So you think she goes, sees the stone turn away, and she's singing songs or something, right? Or she thinks about, she's not thinking resurrection at all. Verse 2 says, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which is code word for John, and said to them, they have taken out, uh, t- they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. You see that? She's not even, resurrection isn't even on her mind. Okay, that's how, for, that's how foreign it is. You see, it's not even like, or he rose from the dead, right? There's none of that, even though he, he was talking about it, right? Throughout the scriptures in different ways, not even on their mindset. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Look at verse 4. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Uh, He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, cloths, right? But it was folded up in a place by itself, right? Which I I just propose, I mean, I know many theologians would just say this is simply just to show uh, just that it wasn't, uh, you know, if a a tomb raider goes in, because, you know, there's all these different myths. So somebody stole the body, because that's what they told people for a while, right? You know, afterwards, they didn't know what to say. The Roman people were like, oh my goodness, the body is gone. We got to say something so people don't think this dude actually rose from the dead, because it's going to turn our world upside down, and our government's going to go into shambles. So they were scared. So they're like, well, maybe somebody took the body. But the reason why the author wants to put that in there to show you, when you rob a tomb, you don't fold stuff. All right? Am I right? Maybe none of y'all ain't stole another phone. You know what I'm saying? Can a real Christian raise their hand? So if you do something, when you're doing something, something shady, you hurry up and do it. Right, Keith? Come on now. Let's be honest. Maybe, maybe not Keith, but somebody else. All right? So the point, author's trying, author's trying to say, wink, wink, look, it wasn't no tomb raiders, okay? Because Jesus, whoever the Holy Spirit and, and the angels was like, we're going to fold this up, put it in a nice little place, let you know we're going to open it to, we're going to walk on out real chill, okay? So then it says in verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. Right? So again, stop right there. Don't think just, oh, I saw and believe. Don't put your mindset on them and think, oh, so they, th- they believe like you. They didn't have all your information yet. I'm proposing, I, I wonder if they're just saying they believe that the tomb was, was broken into. Or maybe believe something about the resurrection, but absolutely, the things we're thinking about, they had no clue. Right? Let me take a pause there. See, I want to propose, when he said they saw and believe, there was a lot of assumptions, a lot of presuppositions in their mind about what was going on. See, I always try to encourage us to remember these are people like you. You know what I'm saying? And they thought like you. And they, and they gave more information like you. And so they just saw their Savior mutilated. Now, 
man, he said something about something's going to happen, rise in three days. But I don't know. I don't, maybe, maybe, I don't know. The, the tomb, the, 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 the rocks rolled away. Everything's nice. What's going on here? So what are our assumptions? So they probably had a ton of assumptions. What are your assumptions about the resurrection? Right? What are your assumptions about what God is doing as, as, as you are a Christian? What is your assumption about why you're here? Can I tell you one popular assumption that we have that I want to kind of deal with? We have an assumption that basically the gospel and, and, and us and God's world, that basically God's world, he, he values us more than the world, right? And that basically Christianity is about you and me getting saved and becoming Christians. And I think God is going to, I don't know what he's going to do with this world. I really don't care. And I'm just excited that one day I'm going to be with God in heaven. How, how many of us think like that sometimes? Right? That basically Christianity is about you getting saved. That basically when we, when we stand up here and talk, it's about you and your salvation and, and you growing in Christ. But I want to propose to you that that's, that, that that's simplistic and it makes sense, but that's not the whole resurrection story. That what God is trying to show you and me today is there is a new perspective he wants you to have about the resurrection story and about the gospel. Is that what God is doing with the good news, the good news of Jesus, is that he's saving you, the pinnacle of creation, that's you and me, that he created us in the scriptures as the pinnacle, which means that we're created in Imago Dei, we're created in the image of God, we're we're created like him, but we're not the only thing he's created. And guess what? We're not the only thing he's saving. You're like, why does that matter? It's extremely important. Because what he's, what he's saying here, what we're seeing through the resurrection, is that God has a story that's about a new creation project. That God is doing something. He's making new creation. He's just not saving you. See, he's saving people because we're the first fruits of the new creation that he is going to bring about. Do you hear that? So God is going to indeed do something in us and through us. But he's doing that as a a deposit, a reminder. Seeing Jesus rise from the dead is that I'm really going to make all things new. All things new. That in essence, he's not saving you and saying you're going to go off and float in heaven somewhere. And here's kind of the earth and it's going to be destroyed. Some of us think the earth is going to go and burn in flames. Some of us don't even really care what happens with this world. We don't really care what's going to happen to us. We just want to go float off with Jesus and be with God one day. Well, that's not what's going to happen. And I want to propose to you that doesn't honor God. And I want to propose to you that kind of thinking doesn't allow you to want to be God's people on earth today. Now, that's a lot, right? You're like, where is this brother going? I want to propose to you that what God is doing in the resurrection is he's showing you that your life is part of a bigger story that's being played out. That your life means something, but it's part of something bigger. Look at some verses real quick. Famous verses. What do they mean? They're very important. Therefore, right, 2 Corinthians 5, famous verse, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? Galatians 6. But far be it from me to, be, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ... By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts nor uh, for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This whole concept of new creation. You hear what he's saying? He's not saying that you and me are just simply just saved. He's talking about doing something bigger than you even being saved. Right? 
He's talking about that something is happening, that the resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was beginning something that was way bigger than just saving his people, which is extremely important. See, what I, I keep saying that because I'm trying to redirect our minds, refocus our minds, and, and, have, and have you go, really, is that what's going on in the Bible? And then I want to prove it, okay? So I'm going to make the thesis, the supposition that God is going to save you, and he has saved you. But why is the question I keep asking. See, the question you got to ask yourself is, did, he, did God make the world, okay? Did God make the world and then say, hey, I made the world. I said it was good in Genesis, and, but you know what? Then sin came. It's not that good anymore, so I'm going to destroy the world and get rid of the world and just kind of keep people. Does that sound like the, the, the creation narrative? Does that sound like the redemption of our Lord? Absolutely not. Now, it's understandable because of pain, because of brokenness, because our world is evil. Because we see all these things that are happening in our lives. It's understandable to think, man, no, it's really about God taking us to heaven one day. But I want to propose to you that it's not a biblical cosmology. It's not a biblical understanding of what God is doing in the world. The biblical understanding, I want to propose that we, we okay, so we as Christians uh, in America, this is a very new thought. This whole sense of the, the, the separation of what God is doing with people and all this creation. Right? It's a 19th century Plymouth Brethren thing, okay, where it came here. But all the Eastern Orthodox, everyone around the world actually holds to this view of what I'm sharing with you right now. Okay? And has this sense that God is doing something even bigger than you and me. And so what resurrection was doing, he was trying to clear up assumptions. That assumption we have today, assumptions that they had in the first century. Right? That, that the world really doesn't matter and all, and all that really matters is me going somewhere. That's an assumption that's not true. But God is actually doing something in the world. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, for as yet they did not understand. I remember they had just talked about uh, them believing. But then it says in verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. You see that? Everything was changing. Something happened on Easter. There was a new paradigm. See, sometimes it's hard to be a Christian because we, we have a disconnect. When you think like that, you're like, well, there's a disconnect. So why does, it, why does now in the world and all the stuff I'm doing, the, the mundane stuff, the simple stuff, why does that stuff matter? Right? You kind of, how do you, there's a disconnect. We don't know what to do with it. But it's clear what we can do with it. The new paradigm, look what he says in verse 10. So they, they see this, they see, they're like, man, okay, he's empty. What, what's going on here? Okay, uh, I kind of, I believe, I don't know what's going on. We don't know much about the resurrection. They're just kind of, kind of shell-shocked. So then you get to verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, the scriptures say. Okay? But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. She stooped to look uh, into the tomb. So that, again, further evidence. Tomb's empty. She has no clue. She's still kind of like sad. What they, what they do? What's going on? She's trying to get her mind right, just like some of you guys, right? Have never heard this someone harp so much about new creation versus this I get saved and, and get you try to get you excited about Jesus saving you and making you awesome, right? But I'm saying no, it's that and more. And you're trying to deal with that paradigm right now. That was her. She's like, whoa, what's going on? Why does this matter? Stick with me because I want to show you why it matters in a moment, okay? It says. In verse 12, so then, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around 
and she saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. All right, don't miss that. And I want you to remember that framework so when you go to other Gospels and you see what he's trying to say here, he's talking about the resurrection. Notice, he's helping you understand a little bit of the resurrection here. We'll talk about that in a moment. And it says, um, whom, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. <laughs> right? Quit playing games. And I will take him away. And verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I go, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Wow, what a powerful passage of what's going on. What a great preview. So let's, let's deal with the passage first, deal with some theological conclusions here. First, this whole concept, you, you probably wonder, like, why does he say that? Why does he, she's grabbing hold of him, and he's like, girl, get off me, I ain't ready yet. Right, why, why does... Why does he say that? Well, first, I want to say to you that that's, he's not saying, like, don't start. He's not saying, hey, don't touch me. I know some of the popular belief is he was kind of glowing and stuff. She, he was like, hey, don't touch me yet, you know, until I'm done with whatever God is doing. That's not the case. It seems more like he's saying stop doing something versus don't start something. So it seems like she's actually touching him already. And he's like, don't cling on to me. Basically, get off me because I'm, I'm heading to the Father. So I want to propose to you the thought simply is that he's trying to, he's trying to encourage her. And I want to say he's trying to encourage us. And he's saying, hey, you, you clinging to me and thinking like, hey, we, man, Jesus is back in the house. We're going to hang out again. He's, he actually is alive. He's saying, no, 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 no. I, I'm alive, but I'm doing something new here. And I want you not to cling on to me and try to have this be kind of the old way of life. Okay? There's something new going on here. All right? So we ain't going to just kind of buddy up and hang out like we used to because there's a new plan because I've risen. Okay, so, so first I want to say that he's trying to say, hey, there's a, there's a bigger thing. And also, he's just graciously saying, hey, you know, in the future, I'm going to ascend. Okay, so right now, I need you to do something. This is a bigger deal. It's not just hanging out with me. Now, don't miss this. There's two things that Jesus is doing in the resurrection. Okay? When Jesus rises from the dead, if you're here right now, you're a believer, and if you're an unbeliever, you're trying to understand this. When Jesus rises from the dead, first, what he's saying is he's saying, the Father is saying that this is really my son. Okay? So when Jesus does this, when he stands before her, she's now realizing, oh, everything we said about Jesus is actually true. Everything he said about himself is actually true. That, that God's people really are his people. But also, number two, it's actually a promise of new creation. It's a preview. As a Christian, Resurrection Sunday is, is a preview of what God is doing in the world and what he's done. And he shows you what he's done through Jesus. Okay, what I mean by that? First, he's showing you by, by Jesus standing up. Think about it. Go to the Gospels, and in every one, you'll see this little concept where Jesus is standing glorified, and people don't recognize him. Again, our supposition, we think that he changes around, right? That he came in, like, you know, with a glorified, you know, big nose and, like, the hairy brows and the eyeglasses and kind of was being different. And then, like, that changed, and he became Jesus again. Right. And that he was kind of playing games. No. What he was doing was he was walking around his new glorified body and it was showing you that you can kind in our new glorified body. You can kind of recognize the person, but they kind of look different because they're glorified. You see that? 
that, that basically she couldn't recognize him because he was perfected in the Lord. Why, how, why do you say that? Well, because while he yet still had the marks, right? But, he, but he, there weren't blood pouring out of him and he had worms crawling out of him because he was glorified. That's a preview. So, it was, it was, so as it were, resurrection is, is to remind you and me that it's the reversal of the fall. That basically what resurrection does, it says God's going to take the decay and, 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 and death and sin and he reverses it. And he provides new life and he pours it out. And that what you see Jesus, the way Jesus was, that's how you're going to be. That's what's cool. That's how you're going to be. That's how you're going to be. That Jesus was fully glorified. He was raised from the dead. That one day he's saying that is a preview for how you will be. You say, well, really? Is that, is that what's going to happen? Man, look at Romans 8. That's what these scriptures are talking about. Romans 8, it talks about this whole, whole creation groaning to be recreated. Those, those, that, that is an allegory. Well, guess what God is saying there? That is not just people. You, right, you sometimes when things are hard and crazy, man, Lord, I wish you would come back and take over. I wish you would do what you, you said you're going to do. Guess what? Creation says that every day. The Bible says that creation groans, right, for God to bring in his new created order. Well, why? Just so that we can get saved? No, because new creation wants us to be perfected, but also the trees and everything that God has created is going to be newly created. See, that's what it means to be Easter people. So Romans 8 talks about that. Isaiah 55 talks about that. It talks about doing a new thing in a new world. It talks about that, that sin and death has these bristles and these brushes that you're in these thorns that are sticking you and that, are, and, and that you go into. And, and you've been in a field that hasn't been plowed for a while and hasn't been pruned and it's nasty and you can't even see the fruit because it's so messed up. He says, but then one day, the day is coming where all that's going to be changed into a lush, beautiful plant, into a lush, beautiful garden. That's new creation. This is God talking to his people. Saying he's doing a new thing in the world. That, that sin won't be able to clog the new life that comes from Jesus. So what is that? What's going on? Jesus. No, now you get it when you see in scripture when it talks about Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection. You see what he's saying there? What does that mean? Well, God does that. He gives you concepts to, that, that take you back to what he used to say in the Old Testament. The first fruits. What was the first fruit? First fruits let you know that more was coming. Like that. It was a preview, right? So God is saying, when you saw Jesus rise from the dead on Easter Sunday, what he was really saying was just like Jesus rose and he was glorified. And man, like death couldn't hold him and sin couldn't hold him. He says, that will be you one day. That's a preview. He gives you signposts. He gives you signposts to be excited about this new reality, guys. What are signposts? Signposts, all throughout scripture, they don't, you, 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 New N.T. Wright talks about this. Signposts aren't for you to focus on the signposts, but they point to something. They help you see what God is talking about in his new world. That's what you get when you talk about the parables of Jesus, right? Think about the parable of, the, of harvest. These are just more, just proof to say, man, God is doing something bigger than just us. What happens in a harvest? You know, my kids are planting seeds. We're planting a bunch of crops in our yards, right, guys? And they're planting all day yesterday. 
You know what's beautiful about a seed? You have a seed. And God says, the new creation, when God comes back, it's like a, a harvest. And in John 20, uh, in John 24, uh, um, I'm sorry, John uh, chapter 12, verses 24, talks about, you know, a seed goes and it dies, right? And it goes into the field. And then what comes forth? Does another seed pop up? No. What pops up? A beautiful plant, right? Now, wait a minute. Did the, did the plant come from anywhere? No. It was birthed from a seed, right? He says that's just how new creation is going to be. That God isn't going to destroy the world, but basically the world and we as we are, and even our bodies and our brokenness, it's nothing but a mere seed. And that something is going to birth out of us, right? He's going to take how he's made us, and it's going to look different. And usually when a seed is planted and it brings forth fruit, it usually looks better than a seed, doesn't it? And God says that's a preview, that's a sign of what God is doing in the world, what he's doing to you and me. He gives us another one, marriage. He talks about marriage. In Genesis 1, in Revelation 21, he says, you know, new creation is kind of like one day, man. You, you got the earth, you know, and the earth sees kind of heaven. It's like, what's up, heaven, baby? Hey, let's hook up. Let's go on a date. And they kind of want to go on a date. And he's like, man, but I want to get married. But he says, you know, I want to consummate this thing. Well, you can't yet because you're not married. He says, but one day, in Revelation, it says, heaven and earth Right? We're not heaven here and earth here and we go off to heaven. No, the Bible says heaven and earth will become one. This is what we got to look forward to. That God is going to take what he's made. See, that's why God gets maximum glory. Because God is saying when he does all this, that there's nothing that he does that Satan can taint and God can't deal with anymore. God is saying, I'm taking the thing that Satan tried to destroy the most and I'm going to newly create it. I'm not going to destroy it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to perfect it. This is what God is doing. In his world. He talks about new birth. Romans 8. He says, you know, the, the, the new creation, what God is doing in the resurrection, is kind of like new birth. Is that you have this, you have this, this womb, and, and, and basically new creation kind of births out of the old womb. And that's when you get this whole sense. When you look at the Gospels, he's talking about the old and new wineskins. And he says that the new wineskins can't, can't be in the old because it's bursting forth. Do you see what God is saying? Do you see what God is saying? You go, well, why does that matter now? Stick with me, because it matters. The point is Jesus came not to do, he came not to, to make the world right by destroying it and sending you off. He came to make the world right by renewing it. And his guarantee that he's going to renew you and this world is when Jesus walked around and said, look at my wounds. Look at me. When he sat around, see, I love it. I love that they have in the scriptures. He sat around. He sat down and said, hey, hey, Paul, give me some fish. And they watch it. Imagine you watching the murder savior you just saw up on the cross, dead for three days. And he's sitting around eating fish. Eating fish. And they're going, oh, my goodness. That's a preview of new creation. Right? Verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On that evening, right, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, look at this, guys, check this out. All right? The doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews came, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So notice that. Why do you think the disciple, I mean, why do you think the author wants you to clearly see the doors are locked? Yeah, the doors locked. They're scared. They're still trying to understand what's going on. And then Jesus appears. Why? He's not a ghost. 
But there's something about our resurrection body where he can do that. He does this in more gospels. See, here's the cool thing. When we look at Jesus, we think Jesus does his own thing and then we're kind of human. But that's what's beautiful about the resurrection is what Jesus is saying is that he is the first fruits of that. So actually, when you and I are glorified, we are co-heirs with him. So you have to be able to at some level start to see when Jesus does some things, we're going to be able to do those things too. (laughs) You see that? That this is his resurrected body. And he's showing and is showing you that man in his resurrected body, he just kind of appeared to people. Look at this. He says, peace be with you. Now, you would expect a rebuke. They, they, just, they just played him. They just denied him. They just, you know, went off and did their own thing. He doesn't give them a rebuke. The scripture says, he says, peace be with you. All right. And then it says, it's like he's wanting to convince them, right? That, that man, the new king is here. The kingdom has come, right? That, that this reality is waiting for you, right? The reality of, of you being in this new creation, those who love Jesus. First Peter talks about this, right? First Peter uh, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Unbelievable. We, we, we don't, do we believe that? Kept in heaven for you. Here's what we think. We think kept in heaven for you. Okay, so one day I'll go to heaven and I'll get all that. No. I, I'm in agreement with, the, with many theologians that know what he's saying is that there is a sphere right now. There's a heaven. There's a place. There's a, there's a place, right? That's a sphere. It's like a realm, heaven. And it's basically, there's, a, there's like a vellum. There's like a, a, a thin sheet between our reality and heaven. And the only way you can really see it is when you have spiritual eyes. Okay? And what God is saying, that there's an invisible reality that is upon us, that, is, that God has broken into this world because of Jesus, right? And that we get to experience the reality of that new creation right now. We get to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to experience God's joy. We, all these things that we get in heaven, we get them now. And that God is saying one day that curtain will be revealed, will be removed. And that heaven and earth will be one. And so uh, my friend, uh, a theologian says, like, you don't, if I'm, if I'm at work, when, if I'm at work, I come back from work, uh, T. Wright says, you know what? If, and my wife says, hey, I left, I left uh, dinner in the oven for you to come, you know, when you get home. He says, you don't, you don't go climb, when you get home, you don't go climb in the oven to eat it, right? 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 You, you, take, the, you take the dinner out of the oven, right? And you, and you, and you, and you partake. I want to propose to you the same way. He's not telling you you're going to heaven. He said it's kept for you and that God is going to bring it to you in the day of new creation. Um, Verse 20 goes on and says, uh, when he had said this, this peace be with you thing, he showed him his hands and his side just to kind of let them know that man, this is, that God has ultimately vindicated who I am and he's vindicated you as new creation. And then his disciples, the scripture says, were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even I am sending you. All right? And so he goes on in verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Man. Okay. So let me try to bring this home and help you understand why this matters now. 
So there's a diagram of now and not yet that I want to pop up here that many of you should be familiar with. This is what's basically happening in our world. Okay, the reason why all this matters, I first had to go through kind of more of an academic way of understanding this issue of new creation. Okay, because I felt like I don't want to just sit here and just talk about being saved, being saved when there's something way bigger. What happens is you have the present age, us in our sin, us doing our own thing. And then what happens is you have this, you have this reality, this sphere of, of new creation, of God's world and his realm and his kingdom. Okay, what God does in Jesus Christ is he then says, I'm going to actually take what's going to happen where it's all perfection, where I'm fully glorified, where there's no sin, there's no death, there's no evil, there's no Satan. I'm going to actually do what what the world thought I was going to do after this age. I'm going to do it during this age. I'm going to do it right now. So basically what happens as as you guys today, what God does in Jesus is that he comes into this present age with all the glory and the manifestations of the new creation of, of who he is and who God is. And he says, I'm going to live. I'm going to defeat Satan. I'm going to defeat sin. I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise from the dead right here in this age. And I'm going to bring over all the powers, all the promise, everything that I have in God, God himself. And I'm going to bring it into this age now for those who know me. And I'm going to do that for a reason. First and foremost, because he wants everything reconciled to himself. And secondly, because of mission. The main reason that God does this for you and me, and this is what's very important, it's very important for us as as Americans for sure, is that God is saying when you get saved, you don't get saved just to be saved. Holiness is not an end in itself. Right, so we can think holiness, you know what? I want to be, we have these two, two gamuts. I want to be holy and pure and, and be godly, and we just want to be godly and holy and pure. Right? And God says, no, 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 because this is happening, I want everyone to understand who I am. So I want you to take your mission, right? I want you to see my mission. I'm, I'm a, he goes, he lives a life, he proclaims his, his name, he proclaims himself, and he saves his people. And he says, just as you saw me do that, you are now Easter people, you now do the same. Do you see that? So God is saying one of the main reasons he burst into this age so that now he can have his vice regents, his people, you, who are now born again of the spirit, who has God's flair, who understands what God has done in this world and in you. And now you sit around and you realize you have a whole different mission now. That your life now matters in the sense that you are now called to proclaim the good news of a God who will burst into creation to save people. That is our role. So the now not yet is that even though he has not come back, even though he, he is coming back, he hasn't yet. And until then, he's saying, you're in that, that little bubble in the middle. And he's saying, now you are called to proclaim me to the world. See, the resurrection of Jesus um, it's not just about a sign that there's a sign of life after death, which is how we can ratchet it down to. It's a sign that new creation has begun. When Jesus rose, he's saying that new creation that, that, that we were going to say, well, one day, man, Jesus is going to do something. He said, no, 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 I did it. It's begun now. And now you have a call as the people of God. So ask the question, how then should we live in a world where God's new creation has already begun, right? 
First Corinthians 15, 58 says this. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't miss this. At the end there. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Now, you know what, guys? Why does he say this um, at the end of a whole chapter that's about resurrection? The whole chapter is about resurrection. Why does he say that? Right? Because he's anticipating the final new creation. See, Easter is not a reminder. That's not what Easter is about. Easter is really about that something began on Easter. That something happened on Easter. That something happened to you and to me on Easter because of Jesus. That heaven, heaven and earth are overlapping, interlocking spheres, and that, there's, and that there's a curtain of faith that actually separates, but it's all right here. And that's why Satan wants to destroy you. That's why he wants to lull you to sleep. That's why he wants you not to be whom God has called you to be, because he understands that something happened on Easter. So in closing, I just want to reiterate what Jesus is doing is, is he's bursting in something new, right? Resurrection, and we think of Christianity, and I think Sis even said it. You know, you think about what you got to give up. I stop cussing. I don't be, I'm not mean to people anymore. I serve more. You think about what you got to give up. You think about that resurrection means, like, you know, you're dying to Christ, but we think, you know, I got I to gotta give all this stuff up. I want to propose to you that resurrection, that what Jesus is saying is that, that Easter is about, is about taking things up. It's about taking up your life. It's about taking up your new mission. It's about understanding that, oh, wow, my goodness, like my life has specific ramifications based on what God is doing in his kingdom. That the very things you're doing, the way you handle your marriage, the way you lead your family, what you do at work, all those things matter as your new created people because God is going to do something with his world. And he's going to do something with you in his world. That he loves his world, he loves his people, and he wants to use us to usher in that reality. Easter does matter. And so... I'm excited because I want to encourage you that Easter is about you seeing that you get an opportunity to, to lay aside depression, to lay aside gloom and sin, and that God wants you and me to take up joy, to take up peace, right? Take up patience because you're, you're a new person. God sees that something literally happened to you new because it happened to Jesus. It's a little different than just you getting saved. It's a little different. You have been saved. Saved for what? You've been saved to make much of Jesus because you're Easter people. And God is doing something in you, but also in the whole world. So let's not live as people, MacAv, as if God is just saving us. Let's live as people as if God owns the whole world. All right? Let's love people like that reality. Let's live life like the things you do really matter. And pray for us, and then we're going to have a time of uh, communion and a time of tithe. Uh, my prayer is that you would wrestle with some of those truths that are kind of probably new for some of you. But I hope they would help you see that, man, your life matters. We're not just being religious, but the works we do are not in vain because of what God has done on Easter Sunday. All right? Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, thank you for that reality that you 
did something when you rose from the dead. That you allowed that, that beautiful womb to be birthed forth with new creation. You allowed that harvest to come forth out of the seed. You, you allowed, Lord, uh, just that, that beautiful wedding ceremony to be even clearer of what you're doing in the world. And Lord, I pray that many of us, we would not just see ourselves going through life and things not really mattering, but one day I'll be with Jesus one day. I pray we would see that everything truly matters because you care about this world. You care about the people in it. You want us to be Easter people, Christ. And I ask, as you risen, as you walked around your glorified body, I pray that we would be anticipating that reality because we've seen the preview. Lord Jesus, that one day we won't be walking around decrepit and hurt. I won't have asthma. We won't, it won't be crazy like that. We will be fully perfect in Jesus. We won't be jealous and backbiting and hating people for no reason. And Lord, we'll be at peace. Lord, we won't be elitist and thinking people who have more money are cooler and more wise because they got more money and people who don't have as much money, don't have much value. We won't, we won't be like that. We won't be prideful like that. We will be, Lord, just at peace knowing that you have created us all with purpose because you created your people in the image of God. I pray we will be an Easter people. In Jesus' name, amen.